and Mud Show is on News Radio 610 WIOD. The problem that we face as conservatives is a lot of major institutions in our country have become infected with this woke virus. Yeah, the woke virus. And it was something I touched on in my top three takeaways today. It was something that's actually woven really well that ties into Florida's parental rights and education legislation that recently passed the House, stands before the state Senate, a final state Senate vote uh, that would end up sending it to Governor DeSantis's desk. But obviously, you have had no shortage of debate, labeling, starting with the fact that most people have no idea that it's even a parental rights and education bill, but rather don't say gay, except there's only one thing. If you actually read the legislation, nowhere in there is that the case. And as Bill Maher pointed out just on Friday, woke people will label you a phobic or bigot for debating sex change surgery for children. That's how absurd things have become. So on this particular note and with some of the other key issues as we're heading down the home stretch now, the state legislative session, joining us to talk about it, State Representative Tom Fabrico. Tom, thank you for taking the time with us. Brian, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so just once again, you know, to, to reset the table here on the parental rights legislation, what's actually in it? So, you know, it's a it's the bill that I think, uh, you know, and, and there's been several other bills, um, but this bill in particular has been the one that has been absolutely uh, by far the most uh you know, misnamed. Uh, this concept that there, people are saying about don't say gay is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, look, the, the fact is, and, and this is the way I put it, and, you know, my constituents, several constituents have called me about it and they were a little concerned. And number one, we got to look at what the language of the bill does, says. And, and then, but number two, let's step away from that for one second and let's talk about one of the things that the bill does is it says that, you know, gender issues shouldn't be discussed for kids between uh, in the curriculum. Uh, it shouldn't be involved in the curriculum for kids age five through nine. And, you know, I have two little girls. I, you know, one of my daughters is seven and the other one is nine. And there are certain things that are inappropriate to be discussed with little children. And, you know, societally, we, we've been rating movies because there are movies that are inappropriate for young children uh, because of their violent content, because of just topics that aren't really appropriate. Uh, there's things like in, during Holocaust education, there's aspects of the Holocaust education that's difficult. And, you know, some of the, the images that are shown are difficult for little children to understand. And for those reasons, there are certain topics that shouldn't be discussed with young children and shouldn't be part of the curriculum um, for, you know, for little kids. Um, that aside, you know, it's a little bit surprising that we even need this legislation, uh, that we find ourselves in a situation in the country where, uh, you know, folks want to talk about gender reassignment uh, or, you know, all these different things to little kids, to little kids. I mean, it's just it's frankly shocking to me. Well, and to your point, this the best argument against this legislation in our state, from my perspective, would be, well, is it really needed? Do we really need to take action? And. If people have wondered whether the desire for this opportunity exists in elementary schools in our state, 
I think you need to look no further to how sharp the rebuttal has been by the opponents, including pressure from teachers' unions once again. Once again, so you know, Tom, if people are willing to fight so hard for the status quo, there's got to be some kind of a reason for that. To your point, there is, and um, you know, it's a, it's uh, it's all this wokeism. I mean, that's what that's what it's all about. It's it, it's a different world that we live in today than we did when I was a young child, uh, or even a few years ago. And uh, we need to. I think it's incredibly important that parents get to decide how things are discussed uh, with their children, especially at that such a young, tender age. And you know, if you know, I, I think one of the things that's also missing, I think, in society today is the parents' responsibility for educating their kids. Uh, that the majority, my view is that the majority of the education uh, that the kids receive should come from the home. Um, you know, I'm blessed in that my wife and I are able to sit down at night uh, with our little girls and we can talk about things. I grew up in a home uh, where my father was a journalist and we talked about current affairs and politics and things of that nature. We may not always agree, but it's important to talk about that. Uh, and, you know, the parents have a role in educating their children. Uh, there are, the parents have an absolute right. The children belong to the parents, not to the school boards. School boards aren't the ones who get to choose uh, what, the, what, what I will be teaching my children, especially if it's something that's way beyond what I believe is appropriate for my children uh, to learn at a certain age. Tom, switching gears, uh, we know that telehealth was rapidly growing before the pandemic. That, like many trends, ended up taking off, of course, during it. And like a lot of new technologies and newer industries and growth industries, uh, additional concerns come about as a result. Tell us a little bit about what you're working on here with the telehealth practice standards. All right, excellent. I appreciate it. So I I filed uh, HB 17 this year, telehealth practice standards, and we are... What that bill looks to do is create uh, an avenue for patients to be able to have telehealth medical consultations with their providers and be able to, through that telehealth consultation, um, receive prescriptions to uh, prescription medication that's uh, Schedule uh, 3, 4, and 5, controlled substances. Um, so not any of the hard stuff, which is in number two, and number one is obviously all very legal, so that wouldn't, be, that wouldn't happen anyway. Uh, the version that's in the Senate allows that through a telehealth, but they also, they go a step further and they do audio only. So you can have a telephone consultation with your provider and you can get your prescription medications that way. Um, you know, there's been slight, you know, what's been acceptable to the House is slightly different than what's acceptable to the Senate. I, I like the Senate version, but unfortunately we didn't get support for the Senate version uh, this year in the House. So we have the more narrowed down version. So now the, those two bills are uh, getting uh, battled out. Uh, you know, we passed it in the House and uh, they're going to go back and forth in messages until we get it done. Uh, but it's it's an incredibly important access to healthcare bill. And even if we're not able to get audio only added in, uh, I you know we we want the support of the Senate. We need their support to get it done so that patients can get this uh, video uh, telehealth passed this year, and we can move forward. And the fact is, it was completely available under the governor's executive order and people began be uh people started relying on it it's it's good policy so we we need to keep moving forward with telehealth yeah i i it makes perfect sense to me and i appreciate your leadership on that issue it's something that um, i've taken advantage of my wife as well certainly um during the course of the pandemic and what you're talking about makes an awful lot of sense 
Hey, Tom, this is something that seems like it's it's not it doesn't have momentum this session, but I'm interested to get your thoughts because I was taking a look at more information again over the weekend on Florida's property insurance market. We just lost another property insurer, St. John's. Uh, the state is is right. making uh, you know go away. They they were not able to sustain. Um, so we're going to have what another hundred sixty thousand or so Floridians are probably jettisoned to, to citizens. We our, our crisis, our property insurance crisis, is is very real once again. I mean, what what's the path forward here, and and what about you know trying to get anything accomplished, um, you know, sooner rather than later? So uh, I'll I'll speak briefly on the issue with uh, with St. John's. I've been following it. I'm a member of the Insurance and Banking Subcommittee in the House, and Insurance and Banking uh, is one of the issues that, because of my background, um, it's in my wheelhouse. Uh, the St. John's estate, uh, insolvency went through on Friday, and uh, I understand the the Leon County Circuit Court. Uh, put them in receivership, um, which means that the actual active claims uh, will ultimately go to, to the Florida Insurance Guarantee Association, FIGA. Um, but the actual policies, uh, generally, you would assume they would go to citizens, and you, you'd be correct. Uh, but it looks like there's a new carrier, a new insurance carrier slide um, that's come into the market, and that's that may be um, that may be absorbing some of those policies. Uh, so that's good news. Mm-hmm. Uh, that means that uh, you know the that's that is good news that that they're not going to citizens. The big picture issue is uh, what's going to happen as far as the insurance markets overall, um, so that we are in a situation where the state of Florida doesn't have to absorb all these files, all these uh, uh, policies, because the state of Florida really shouldn't be in the business of writing property insurance. We should have uh, property insurance markets that that are that that are handled by you know the capital markets and that um you know that there would be more stability in that way uh the concern is if citizens gets too big and we have a terrible storm uh the entire state of florida is going to be on the hook for that and every single insurance policy i mean it could be really bad um so we do need to have the capital markets bring in insurance carriers to the state of florida so we are certainly looking at legislation uh to help the carriers that are currently uh, in the state uh, be able to continue to writing uh, uh, homeowner's insurance. And, and, and also, we want to entice carriers to come into the state. It looks like we need some serious litigation reform to encourage uh, encourage more of that behavior and to keep who we have. That's a big but part I, of it. That's, yeah. a, that's absolutely a big part of it. Um, you know, litigation in Florida has, unfortunately, you know, folks, you know, some folks view their homeowner's insurance policy as a warranty. Um, and, um, and, you know, and the trial lawyers have certainly worked at, uh, you know, filing these lawsuits and, and trying to get claims for what we call social inflation. And they have the social inflation value. And so those, those claims uh, from these storms have a longer tail uh, than they should. And unfortunately, those litigation costs are part of what's causing the problem with the reserves and the carriers becoming insolvent. Um, we, we need more carriers in Florida. The more carriers that we have in Florida, the more stable premiums are going to be. And I think that's ultimately what's most important. So you know, when I campaigned, I knocked on 20,000 doors uh, in the uh, Miramar uh, and Miami Lakes area and, and uh, Hialeah, Hialeah Gardens and Doral. And what most homeowners talk about is their insurance premiums. They yeah. want to they wanna have a situation where their insurance premiums aren't going 30 40% up a year. Uh, so that they can live in their homes. And that's really what we're working at. We need to stabilize the market. And all this technical talk that I've given, uh, it all boils down to what can we do to stabilize the market so premiums uh, don't shoot straight up and ultimately start coming down a little bit.
Well, I am crossing my fingers that something might happen here before the state session is up. I appreciate the, the time, the insight as well. Thank you very much, Tom. Talk to you again. Brian, thank you so much. Have a great day. You as well. That is State Representative Tom Fabrico. We'll be right back with today's Q&A of the day here on the Brian Mudd Show. He's Radio 610 WIOD.